0: Hi, my name is Sean Keyes and you're listening to You, Me and BPD. Um, This week I'm going to be chatting about my uh, father. Um, Some people have asked me about my life. Um, I'm helping people now. And, you know, I've BPD and I'm trying to get my message across there and I'm just some random stranger for some people across the world. And uh, so... I suppose, yeah. I've never really talked about um, it, it is in depth, so I'm going to actually talk about it today. So uh, um, to start it off, I'm going to start it off with a song that means a lot to me about, uh, about my father. It's a song by U2, and it's called uh, Sometimes You Can't Make It On Your Own, because um, it's a song that Bono wrote for his father when his father was dying, basically explaining to him to be, you know, you don't have to do it all on your own, and uh, how the opera within him, the opera within Bono was uh, the reason he sings. So um, I suppose this isn't going to be an easy podcast for me, but here we go.
1: stuff You're telling me and anyone You're hard enough You don't have to put up a fight You don't have to always be right Let me take some of the punches for you tonight
0: Um, here we go uh, Sometimes You Can't Make It On Your Own it is a song that is is very deep in my heart Unfortunately in 2009 I tried to uh, take my own life and um, this was a song that uh, was playing in the background
2: so Um
0: yeah, look. I suppose let's start. I had a very rough childhood. Um I was never happy and um I don't remember any happiness in my childhood. I don't I don't remember um I don't remember uh And being loved <coughs> nurtured So um, As a child I kind of figured I had to do it on my own And uh, So I built a toughness I suppose If you want to call it that An um, exterior wall that i needed to to build um because it was such a hard hard childhood and even though you know i'm going to stress the point now that uh i'm obsessed doing this podcast um you know i'm i'm upset because i'm deliberately remembering all of this you know Going back, and uh, I suppose when you go back into the into that depth that I wouldn't normally go back to, it's going to uh, it's going to bring up a lot of sadness because, (coughs) excuse me, you know, as a child, it was a very sad childhood that I had. Um, The sad, sad is the correct emotion to use because it just was. It was a very sad childhood, unfortunately. And I say unfortunately, I say unfortunately, because unfortunately for my father, he he had an awful childhood. My father had, a, you know, a childhood that you just don't come out of. Um, when my father was an eight-year-old boy, he killed a chicken. So you're talking 1949, um, you know, when he was born, the world was at war. So it was a very tense place. Um, Ireland wouldn't have been a great place to live. Um, So as an eight-year-old boy, he killed a chicken. And uh, his father, who would have been a very violent man, he brought him inside and he uh, took an eight-year-old boy and he put him on a table and uh, he tried to cut his head off with a an axe. And because my grandmother intervened, he, he proceeded then to bring him up the stairs. But not only was he bringing him up the stairs, but in Ireland at the time when we had carpet on the stairs, there was tiny tin strips of wood to hold in the carpet for each step. And he broke them off and broke them across my father's back. Um, and uh, it, would, it would have been horrific. So he, um, he brought him upstairs, and he, he went to drown him in the bath. So that was my father's
2: childhood. childhood.
0: Um. Yeah. So anyway, he that was all a in one incident. Uh, he, he, yeah. Because he couldn't kill my father, he proceeded then to bring him in every day as an eight-year-old boy and put him to bed six o'clock every day. And sorry, now this podcast isn't easy. So, to give a bit of context for my father, that was one incident for him, um, an eight-year-old boy who Simply killed a chicken. And uh, horrors he had to endure. I don't think think any human being would recover from that. So fast forward a long, long time. And uh, I'm seventh down. I'm not going to talk about my family here today, but I'm seventh down. So seven children later, then I'm born. And, uh, you know, my father never wanted any more kids. He, uh, he, unfortunately, and I'm saying unfortunately, you know, I mean, I'm trying to give context of my father's life. You know, that was one incident. As an eight-year-old boy, I'm pretty sure my grandfather didn't do, didn't stop there. You know, I'm pretty sure he he done plenty more things to my father. When my um, when my father was 17 years of age, he hit him. He hit my grandfather. He hit him a box, which he then left and moved to England. And when he was in England, um, my grandfather died. So, they never got to uh, make amends, I suppose, you know. And then, then as I said, I was born. Now. I'm the most difficult uh, child, I suppose, to come into our family, you know, um, and I'll say that from the get-go, anyone that has parents and have difficult children, it's not easy to are a difficult child. But, um, yeah, so, you know, I suppose my father, when he was looking at me, I can relate to this as an adult. When my father was looking at me now, I can tell you he was looking at himself. And there's nothing worse as a parent to look at their own child that reminds them of themselves, especially when they had a childhood that uh, was horrific. So my father hated me. He absolutely hated me and I could never understand why. I could never understand that hatred he had for me. You know, and um growing up as a small child when your father is you know just hating you and you can you can clearly tell he hates you um that I never understood it I just never understood why my father hated me, and now I get it, I get it, you know you know you have this person coming into the household who won't co- he won't conform. I never conformed, I never got in line. My father was a highly violent human being. You know, he would drag you out of bed and he'd beat the living shit out of you at night coming home drunk. Um Yeah, he he you know, he, he was just an absolute nightmare of a human being, um, in a sense of he just had this absolute rage inside of him that he couldn't get out in a positive way, so he would, uh, he'd get it out in ways that he would beat you. Simple as, um, and he would beat you, you know. And nothing I did, nothing I did, he was happy about. Absolutely nothing. I remember as a child, you know, if I, if I, you know, one of my prominent memories is when he, you know, he took a knife to my mother in 1983 and i was only 5 at the time he told her he cut her head off i'll cut your fucking head off he says and uh, the guards or the police as it's they're called outside of ireland but they were they called him he was taken away and i remember i picked up a knife as a as a 5 year old boy and i held it to my sister and i said i'll cut your fucking head off you know 5 year old child Copying my father, not knowing really what I was doing when you think back about it, you know. That's a prominent memory I have. Then <coughs> I remember having the queue, um, having the queue. No money, no food. Um, my father drank all the money. Like he just, he wouldn't, wouldn't give my mother money. He gave her the bare minimum. And uh, having the queue for food at Christmas time and getting, as I thought, you know, food. And it was horrible outside a charity place. There's another prominent memory I have where you just, it didn't feel right. You know, you were growing up with these, just standing in the rain at Christmas time. And it just didn't feel right. It was like, why do we have to do this? Never having any good clothes growing up, you know um nothing you just you were poor i remember i remember when the children were going swimming in school and you were, you were staying behind because you'd no money you just had to sit there in another classroom because um you simply had no money to go and learn how to swim and these are memories i have that are prominent prominent memories where uh they affected you, you know, you didn't think it at the time because I suppose it felt awkward going into another classroom and sitting there when everyone else in the class and it was only me and I knew other people were poor but it still was only me going into that other classroom sitting there while everyone else went swimming. You know, and you didn't realise it at the time, it didn't feel right. It just I suppose as a child things don't feel right, don't they not? They just don't feel right but you can't contemplate them you can't uh, understand the emotion and then every year I'd win which it's you know it's it's a nice memory I have I'd win the sports day the end of the year the school and I'd win the sports day and I'd be all happy coming home because my father was constantly telling me I was a worthless useless bastard and I'd never achieve anything and it's horrible hearing that as a child because you believe that you're a worthless useless bastard you know and um i'd come home i'd be all happy about winning the the end of the year sports day and and he would tell me i was still a worthless useless bastard so i'd break the trophy in front of him out of pure anger because it just was ruined you know and throw the trophy to the ground and yeah, he just absolutely done everything he could to crucify me. I remember doing karate learning to do karate, happy at the fact that, you know, something was being paid for that I enjoyed. And I, I got I got second in the All Ireland as a twelve year old boy. A white belt, you know, but I suppose I had so much anger in me, I was I was good at fighting. Um and again, I won, you know, second in the All-Ireland as a 12-year-old boy. Such a fantastic thing to do when, when you're not that long doing karate And again, I came home and he just, you know, he told me I was useless and a worthless bastard. So I gave up doing karate Because everything I did, he was always on me. When I came home with anything, he just ruined it. He absolutely, so I just stopped. I just... I didn't do anything after that. I didn't do sports. I don't do sports. Never did sports after that. Um never did, never 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 went near sports, never went touching them. <coughs> Everything I ever had he destroyed it absolutely. And then you know when I was 11 years of age I I was went down to Galway and uh with my brother-in-law and he's a prominent, um, he's prominent in my life because for the first time in my life, a male that was like an adult, you know, my older brother is, is six, seven years older than me, but this, he was an adult, like he's 18, 19 years older than me. And he was the first uh, person to show me as an adult male, kindness, compassion, couldn't believe it. Absolutely couldn't believe it. Like this person was looking at me and um, giving me love. So um, he uh, he's a panel beater. And uh, that's the reason I'm a panel beater, spray banter, Is I couldn't believe this love I was getting. This absolute love from another human being. And I didn't know what to do with it. So I thought to myself, Wow, you know, I need to become a panel beater. That's what I need to do. So, um... Sorry, no, one sec. Anyway. I became... And that day, I wanted to be a panel beater. And, uh... Yeah. It was set in stone I was going to become a panel beater. And, as it turns out... I did. I went into the trade and... I'm still doing it. But, uh, yeah, my brother-in-law, an 11-year-old child, he showed him kindness and it was such kindness that it changed my whole world. And, um, yeah, my life changed after that. I wanted to become a panel beater. I knew what I wanted to do in life. I, I I knew I had focus then for the first time in, in a sense of what I was going to do and I, I was focused to do that. But anyway, that summer ended and I had to go back home and I went back home. And again, the torment and the nightmare was there of my father. And, you know, it was never ending, never ending. When I was in school, I wouldn't do any exams. You know, I'm a 42-year-old man. I have not one state exam to my name because I was afraid in case I'd fail. I wouldn't touch anything because I was afraid if I came home with a result, he'd still call me a useless, worthless bastard. So I just didn't do any exams. And uh, I don't have any exams. I have nothing to my name because I... uh, I don't even have my trade when I'm thinking about it. I wouldn't even do my trade. I mastered painting. I'm a very good painter. I only mastered it because I didn't want him to take it from me. When I think about it, I perfected one thing in life so my father couldn't take it from me. But I'm not qualified. So he couldn't take that from me. Um, oh Lord. It's not an easy podcast. But anyway. Um, As a young man then I was kind of getting stronger. And I remember. I remember my father when I was a five year old child. Five or six. I remember him beating. Absolutely beating the shit out of one of my sisters. And it's not easy. It's not easy to watch. And I remember as a five-year-old child going, I'm going to fucking kill you someday. And you know, for a five-year-old child to think about that, and I did, it never left my head. Never. And as I was growing up, I was measuring myself in strength to see was I strong enough for my father. And I knew I wasn't. At every given age. But I could could feel myself getting stronger as a teenager, you know. Uh, As a young adult I could feel myself getting stronger and he was abusing me constantly. And even then as a young adult it was an absolute nightmare because he just never left me alone. He just always was on my case no matter what way I moved. He was on it. He was constantly on my case, making sure he could crush me. And I never seen, as an adult, I never seen a man, now that I'm looking back, to put so much dedication into destroying another human being. And I always say, in therapy, I would have preferred to have been a Jew in the time of the Nazis because at least it wasn't personal. But my father absolutely had a vendetta against me, and every chance he took, he tried to crush me, and he'd done a good job, really, and truly he did, because he did, he left the impact on it, on me, you know, so, as an adult, or sorry, as a teenager, I just had more and more hatred for him, and he had hatred for me, and you had two young men, or two a young man and an older man hating each other, and um, so it continued, you know. So it continued. So then, when I was um, eighteen years of age, he was abusing my mother again. He never left my mother alone either. Always abusing her. My mother was only a small woman, constantly abusing her. You know throwing his weight around with her and just, I had enough of it so I told him we were out one night and I said it to him I says, you're getting it tonight you know and I absolutely bet the shit out of him I I bet him, I wanted to kill him I absolutely wanted to kill him and I was determined to kill him 18 years of age with 18 years of rage inside of me and I just wanted to kill him and my brother You know, thankfully he asked me to stop and I had so much respect for my brother that I did stop. But I left my father in hospital for over a week, you know. I'm not proud to say that. No son son should ever have to hit his father. But I'm 42 years of age and I'm going to be honest about it. He deserved it. I'm not going to say he didn't. He was an absolute nightmare of a human being. He absolutely brought a reign of terror to my family. You know, he beat the living shit on my sisters and no remorse for doing any of it and um someone had to stop him he just he'd so much fear driven into the other six members of my family that they they just got in line i just noticed that about them they just they got in line when he said something they'd done it they had so much fear that if he said something they did it you know they knew what he was going to do to them but i had enough i had enough of his bullshit And uh, I wanted it to stop. And thankfully it did. That was the end of his reign of terror. When he came home and, you know, he asked what happened. My mother, plumazed, told him a silly story that he fell. I said, you didn't fall. I left you in hospital. And I says, only for my brother asked me to stop. I stopped. But I says, the next time you do that, I says, I have it that I'm going to kill you. And that's not right. It's not right to say stuff like that. You know, that mindset to be able to say something like that is just not right. And I thought that didn't affect me, but it did. Crushed me. Because I became then the monster. I became the monster that I never wanted to be. I then realised that all that rage, anger, was in me. You know? And what I was capable of doing when I let that monster out. And as it turns out, I was called a monster all my life. You know, and there it was, there it was, there was the monster. Couldn't be denied. So I moved away. I left home after that. You couldn't have two bulls in one house. It wasn't safe. And I went down to uh, Galway to learn to be a panel beater. And when I was in Galway... Now I'm looking back, I was trying to learn a trade and it's not an easy trade to learn, it's a hard trade. I mean, you're trying to learn a new skill set. And um, when I was in Galway, I loved it. I have this love for panel beating and thankfully my brother-in-law showed me so much love that it gripped it, it gripped panel beating for me and even though it was a hard trade to learn. And here's the little thing about me I'm absolutely useless at mechanical-minded. I can't put things together. So I went into a trade that you have to be mechanically minded for. So that was an absolute nightmare. Um, But the grip my brother, my brother-in-law had with the love he gave me, it gripped on so tight that I just wanted to master something in life. I just wanted to master one thing so I could own it, so I could say, this is mine, you can't take this from me, you can't have it, so I held on, I held on, and um, I uh, tried the trade, and then once I got this really difficult job, and looking back upon it now, if I'm being honest, you know, in 25 years doing this trade, I wouldn't be able to do it now. So it was just a really difficult time. Um, Back then, everything was fixed. Everything is replaced nowadays. If you crash, everything is fixed. Everything was uh, replaced, sorry. Everything is fixed now. But, um, yeah, I had this really difficult job, and I just couldn't do it. And I wouldn't be able to do it now. And even if you gave that job, I can say this now, and I'm not using it as an excuse, but if you gave that job to a qualified panel beater today, he wouldn't be able to do it. But the mindset back then was to fix everything. And I couldn't fix it. And all the flood of the worthlessness came back into me. It absolutely consumed me again of being worthless. So I came back, I I left. I ran out of the job. I I started crying and I left because I felt like I was a worthless, useless bastard all over again. And I took my first overdose then. Came back to that Took my first overdose. Wanted to... uh, not be here anymore, and at 19 years of age, I took my first overdose, and, you know, wrote a letter, I wrote a letter to my father, and, um, nobody ever seen it, never gave it to anyone, I burnt it when I got home, um, the next day, actually, sorry, I didn't get home, I woke up the next morning, thought I was going to die, I didn't die, thankfully, and, um, I uh, had to go to hospital and be pumped out, but I burnt the letter before I went. You know, and in the letter, you know, I said, Well done. Congratulations. You've achieved in doing what you always wanted to do, which was crush me. You must be stronger than I am because you clearly never killed yourself. And obviously I am a worthless, useless bastard when I can't even want to stay in this world you must be stronger than I am because you've never once tried this when here I am trying to kill myself. But even in even through life I never felt good enough. So well done. And that was it. That was what was in the letter. Looking back, you know, would he have given a shit? I don't think so. Um, so that was 19. At, um, 23. 23, years of age, yes, I met my wife, and that changed my whole world. Um, yeah. Someone... <coughs> Someone seen me, um, for who I could be, and uh, you know she, uh, young girl, I suppose at the time, nineteen. I was twenty-three. Got going out with her, fell in love. It was great. Still is great to be honest with you, um. But I, do, I remember, you know, I remember I was a nightmare, to be honest. You know, again, I was a nightmare. Uh, drinking a lot. Trying to uh, drown out the intrusive thoughts in my head. Trying to just get rid of them every weekend. Best I could. And uh, I remember I came home and I must have been fighting up the town. I was all bloody and everything and You know, I remember uh, my mother was worried. If I'm being honest, I can look back upon this. She was worried. As a parent, you know your children. And she knew I was a nightmare. And she said to this 19-year-old girl, you know, you'd want to leave him. Like, he's never going to be any good for you. And I have to be honest, my mother was right. You know, I can look back upon that without judgment. She was right because she knew me. She knew the nightmare that I was and parents know their children. And, um, you know, my wife now, a girlfriend at the time, she said, look, you don't see what I see and someday you will. So she did. And um, fast forward to today... You know, except for this podcast um I'm a very happy human being, but this podcast is to give people context as to why I do what I do, so I have to be in the emotional state to give it, generally, not like this um so anyway young man twenty three twenty two twenty three years of age. I a um, Lot of drinking. I won't say a lot, but I just drank every weekend to try and get out of my head. I hated my head. Absolutely hated. It. Then I was trying to navigate a relationship. Lots of fighting, lots of arguing. Not physical fighting, but lots of arguing. Every weekend and just a nightmare for me, you know. And uh trying then to navigate my work Trying to navigate all of that, trying to do well in my trade. So at um twenty-eight years of age, I'm gonna fast forward a bit. You know, I'm not gonna give you a full, full context. Um my father and myself had mended our ways, you know. Sorry, I'm gonna go back at nineteen when I took that overdose. Overdose, uh, I ended up in a mental hospital, and my brother, thankfully, he was too distraught and he just begged them to let me home, and they did. But I slept in his house that night, and the following morning, my mother sent my father out for me. And when he came out, I, I broke down crying in the car, and I said, Why do you hate me? Like, I said, You're crushing me. You just hate me. You don't love me. And my father said, I do love you, I just don't know how to show it. And I suppose he didn't. He didn't know how to show it. I mean, as an eight-year-old boy, when he endured what he endured, you don't come back from that. There's no coming back from that level of torture. You know, and, like, my father never took a bath after that, and I know I'm jumping back now, but he never took a bath. He always washed himself at the kitchen sink, and I never understood it, you know. He never took a bath, never took a shower. Um... I remember looking at his back, and it used to have all these criss across it, never realising them criss were them pieces of timber that were broken across his back that day. So, um, yeah, he just couldn't show emotion. He just could not show it, understandably, when you look back upon it. Horrific childhood. So, in 2005, at that stage, I'm going to be honest, Self and my father had mended our ways, you know. After um I'm gonna after 1997 is when I gave him the beating. Things changed. He you know I won't say he was a better man, but he was a, a man that he was kinda put in his place if I'm being honest. And I didn't like that. I still don't. I don't like that you have to put people in their places. But in, by the time of 2005, we had mended our ways. You know, I was going for a pint with him. We were having chats. I'm a big believer in forgiveness. I'm an absolute believer in forgiveness. Don't hold on to anything in life. Don't hold on to it. So we had mended our ways. And he, um, in 2005, he got, he got diagnosed with cancer. And in 2006, he died. And, uh, you know, one thing I'm very proud of as a family, you know, and this is one thing I'm very proud of, to be honest with you, we minded him. We absolutely, we took him, you know, we ne- he never went anywhere. We kept him at home. We were a large enough family, like there's eight of us in it. And we, we, we sent him off in a very good way. You know, we nurtured him, we minded him. It must have been a nightmare for him because he was lying in a bed for a couple of months. But, you know, I always reflect on that going, thank God, we, we, we gave him a good send-off in a sense. Like, here was a man that all his life brought a reign of terror to every one of my family. And, um, you know, we 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 gave him one of the best send-offs you could give any human being with dignity and respect. You know what I'm very proud to say that, so he did he died, and after he died um I opened up a business i couldn't I couldn't handle my old job anymore and i left and I opened up a business and uh in two thousand and six and uh yeah, you know, no education, nothing just opened up a business and uh I went for it. And, uh, in 2009, it was just after the, the crash of 2008. Um, yeah, 2000, and, uh, January. So 2008, the world went into a recession. I was doing really well. The business done well. I worked hard. I put a good bit of effort into it. And, um, I worked hard for someone who has no education. I'm proud of that. I, you know, but in two thousand and nine, January two thousand and nine, I stood outside my business. I had bought two houses at this stage, built one, and bought another. The business was successful. I had about four people working with me, and um, you know, I had good contracts. And it was going to be a business that it could sustain. It was a good business. And in 2009, I stood outside my garage. I put my hands up to the air. And I said, now, to my father. Now am I a worthless, useless bastard? Look at all I've achieved. I have two houses. I have a brand new Jeep. I have my own business and I have plenty of money in the bank. Now am I a worthless, useless bastard? And that crushed me. I never sprayed after that day. Because I realized I had spent my whole life trying to prove someone wrong trying to get their approval, trying to see, was I good enough? And um, I stopped spraying. Yeah, I stopped spraying. I absolutely stopped spraying cars on that day. (coughs) Excuse me. I didn't pick up a spray gun after that day. And that crushed me. I realised I had mastered something. And I worked hard to master spray painting. For someone, I shouldn't be in the trade. I'm just not geared for it in that sense. I never sprayed after that. I wouldn't pick up the spray gun. I realised I was trying to prove a dead man wrong. And that crushed me because then I felt... Nothing, I felt like I was nothing in this world I felt like I was worthless and useless All over again That I was just a piece of shit An absolute piece of shit So, a month later in February of 2009 While I had myself and my wife built a house Built it to perfection Oh stop, you'd want to see the house Built to perfection everything had to be perfect, you know, because if it wasn't perfect, then I was a useless, worthless bastard. And um, we had drinks. We had a good night. Everything was perfect. And I was cleaning up. I was cleaning up because if you left a kitchen sink dirty my father would come home and he would drag you over bed and beat the living shite out of you, bring you down to clean it and beat the shit out of you and put you back into bed. So I was cleaning our kitchen to make sure it was clean because I was a well-programmed little dog at that stage. And the irony is, I suppose the irony, I still do it, I, I clean dishes still. I don't use a dishwasher. I'm well programmed. I always clean dishes in our home. You know, be careful how you program your children. So anyway, I was cleaning up in 2009 and making sure the kitchen was spotless because it had to be spotless. And I was listening to music. And the song that I played in the beginning of this um, podcast came on. And it brought me right back to my father and uh, it brought me right back to him dying and my lifehood with him and my childhood and the absolute lack of affection and nurturing that I got from him. And unfortunately, the house was only new and we had um, blades for cleaning the concrete off the window. And uh, I slipped my wrist, you know. And I slit it all the way to the bone. And I held it over a sink, trying not to dirty the house, which, when I think back, is the mental state that I was in. And I was in such a state that I kept going until I seen bone, which, unfortunately, is very graphic. But I'm trying to give the nightmare of my life. And... um I was so disorientated. obviously, the blood was leaving me very rapidly that I started to fall, fall around the kitchen, and I destroyed the whole kitchen. absolutely destroyed it. Thankfully, we had a dog at that time. We'd only got a dog, and he barked and prompted. My wife had come down, and I was brought off in hospital, and I lost six pints of blood. They don't know how I survived thankfully I did, which is I suppose one of the reasons this podcast is uh, such a passion of mine, I don't want anyone else to endure that, so that's why I do my podcast, you know, um, such a horrible ordeal, the mindset of that, you know, So, I was brought into a mental hospital. I had an operation on my hand, and uh, a week later I was brought to a mental hospital. And after that, I done therapy. I spent four years in therapy. Four years, I, you know, the horror that I endured, and the horror and that I put on people, you know, I taught after the last suicide attempt that this would work thankfully it didn't Um, but the horror that you put on people it changes everyone's lives it absolutely changes them forever you know you don't realise it at the time you can't see a way out you just can't you just think there's nothing else and when I was doing it when I was actually performing the action of slitting my wrist and I know this is graphic but you know um. All that was in my head was, come on, you're a useless, worthless bastard. Who do you think you are? That's all that was in my head. You need to go. Um, so I'd done four hours of therapy, or four years. Four years I didn't want to come out. I wanted to get better. This was when I actually wanted. I said, no, I have enough. I have enough of this. I gave up drinking. I spent four years in therapy. I worked hard. I said, this was it. I was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, so I just took that down, I went right, this is going to be gone, I want rid of this, my wife wanted children, I was stunned that she wanted children, why would you want children when I'm like this, and she goes you'll be a good father, I said sure, I don't even know if I'm going to manage this, Like I've, it's such an illness that you can't manage. And she said, well, why don't you try and overcome it? You've never listened to anyone in your whole entire life. Why don't you just try and overcome your illness? You have a good, strong mind. Just try and do it. And that's the one thing about my wife. She's always there. She's always pushed me. You know, she's always there trying to push me on, help me along. And um, I dedicated my life to overcoming BPD. I dedicated my life to overcoming mental health. To never, ever put anybody through that again. To never put someone through the horror, the ordeal of waking up to someone and thankfully I didn't die. To never do that to anyone again. My family, like, you know, when I think back upon it, what damage it causes. So I worked hard. I worked really hard at making sure this would never happen again. And thankfully I can say today I no longer have any traits of a person with borderline personality disorder. I worked so hard at this illness that I was so afraid of it that I took them nine traits. I've only eight out of nine and I got rid of each one of them until they were gone. And I've never stopped working hard on borderline personality disorder and mental health because it's such a severe illness that I consume books to make sure I can perfect it. And I can honestly say today, now this podcast was emotional, it was deep, it was graphic. I'm a very happy human being. I have three wonderful kids, I have a fantastic wife who stands by me and she's always stood by me and... ...pushed me along and I'm grateful for that. And I'm extremely happy today. And this podcast, as I said, was because a few people have asked me... ...well, who are you? You come on and you're always helping us... ...and I'm chatting to people around the world and... ...I suppose people are kind of wondering... ...well, just... ...what happened to you? So, this is what happened to me. But today I'm happy... I'm doing great I'm genuinely happy I'm I'm I've no intrusive thoughts anymore I have no negative days in a sense of that they grip me and grab me and pull me under you know as again I had to get into the mindset of this podcast I had to get into the mindset of what it felt like and I needed to I needed to empathize with that younger version of myself you know, and see where he was at. Today I have kids, I have three wonderful children, and I'm only going to become a better human being because I want mental illness to be gone. And this is where my passion is because I suppose the reason I'm so driven and I'm so driven in life is because I was left with a deformed hand. My hand is completely deformed. And it will be for life. And at some stage I'm going to have to explain this to my kids as to why my hand is deformed. And I'm not going to hide it. You shouldn't have to, you know, I mean, you shouldn't have to hide mental health. People suffer enough with it. As I've said earlier on, I'm sure you have a grasp of now where my mindset was. People suffer, shouldn't have to suffer with that level of you know, pain inside of their heads. But today, I'm good. And I love my father to bits. I absolutely love him. I love my mother to bits. I have absolutely nothing against my father. He was a young boy who endured a horrible life. And, you know, I don't think anyone would have ever recovered from what he endured. He had an awful hard life. I'm not going to excuse what he did because you can't excuse it. He did what he did because he chose to do what he did. That's his choice. People make their choices. They have to stick beside them. I make my choices. If I excused what he did, it gives me reason then to be a horrible human being and I don't believe in that. I completely forgive my father and I love him to bits. Um, And... I honestly think the world of the man and dad now it's my time to take the monsters away so with that I'm going to leave you with this song
2: Before they
1: turn off all the lights I won't read you your wrongs or your rights The time has gone I'll tell you goodnight, close the door Tell you I love you once more The time has gone So here it is your son So here it is.